Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Brews on the Balcony midweek show. I am your host, Zach Zook. We'll be hearing from the rest of the panel as well. TJ, Nick, and Big Webb will give you their picks for the Thursday night game. Bears are hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Kind of a big game for both of those teams. Bears are already pretty much dead, but still on that graphic in the hunt. And for the Cowboys, competing for a division title with the same record as the Bears just goes to show you how terrible the NFC East has been. Uh, They'll give you their picks. Nick will give you his fantasy plays of the week. Fantasy playoffs start this week, man. Uh, so it's, it's it's do or die for everybody out there this week. So be paying attention to his fantasy ad drops this week, and then you'll get your pick from Big Web and his hashtag prognostication. we got a good show this week. I want to talk about the good and the bad with Russell Wilson. Russell having a great year, MVP-type year in the discussion right up there with Lamar Jackson. But there's something I've been noticing with him in this last Monday night start against the Vikings and over the last couple of weeks as I've started to watch the Seahawks more more closely as it's become really apparent that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in in the playoffs. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Also, it, uh, the shoe has dropped on Ron Rivera's career in Carolina. The owner, Tepper, decided to let him go yesterday. So we'll talk about that. Uh, of course, the picks and more. But first, we're brought to you by Cafe Telegraph, who hosts us for the live show every Sunday from 10.30 to noon, uh, hosted by TJ, myself, Nick Yale, and Big Web. We had Hessler on last week as a surprise kind of guest who was leading our uh, picks in the CBS Pick'em. Uh, so we had him on to give some of his picks. But Cafe Telegraph is is just so gracious to us. Best best smoked meats in town. The par fry wings are second to none. Great service. Friendly people. Plenty of TVs. It's a good hang. So, uh, so, so come out and spend some time with us if you enjoy watching football. It's a good place to be on Sunday. Uh, we're also brought to you by Kay Roberts at Remax Gold. Kay Roberts, one of the best real estate agents in the city of St. Louis. We don't just feed you this crap. We mean it. TJ obviously means it. He and Laura used her to uh, help them purchase their first ever house together. We're also brought to you by STL Distillery. STL Distillery, uh, that's Nick's jam. He always does the STL Distillery ads. And his favorite there is the Brew Vodka. You can pick that up. $19.99 distilled from craft beer. You can also try their Cardinal Sin Vodka. It is... uh, the holiday season, and so it would make a make a good good Christmas present. Vodka is never a bad Christmas present. So uh, if you if you're if you're star for gift ideas, go on into STL Distillery and mention Brews on the Balcony, get a free tasting, free tour, and then decide uh, what you what you want to walk out of there with. We're also brought to you by Sarah Barron at Family Finance Mortgage. You can get a hold of her at three one four five three seven one two eight two to refi on your mortgage or help start a regular mortgage. Let's get into the midweek show. Thank you to our sponsors. Okay, first up, I want to talk about Russell Wilson because I think that there's a style of play that he employs that is really interesting. It's kind of the the good and the bad with his play style. And... I've been watching the Seahawks very closely over the over the course of the last month. I've probably watched every snap they've played the last two games for sure. In the Monday night game at home against the Vikings in which they won. And then the overtime game that came down to 
you know, literally the final seconds of the overtime where the Seahawks were able to hand the 49ers their first loss. I think that was on Thursday night football. Uh, so what prompted me to talk about this is I've kind of noticed this for a while now, like the last couple of seasons, but as I've paid more attention to them this year, and especially the last couple of weeks, it's come more into focus for me. And somebody in our fantasy football group chat uh, for, I have a league with a bunch of my high school buddies from my hometown. And he texted the group chat and said, you know, I think Russell Wilson has got to be the the best like low IQ quarterback in the league. And I disagree with him for the fact of low IQ meaning necessarily like intelligence, because he's obviously a very high-functioning guy, very intelligent guy, NC State, Wisconsin, handles the blitzes and everything these defensive coordinators throw at him every Sunday, can handle the playbook, fantastic leader, really fantastic human, high-level dude. But I think where he was going with it, and what I do kind of agree with him, because this is what I have kind of been noticing, is he makes a lot of boneheaded plays. And... It's really interesting because everybody, I feel like, says that he's underrated. And I don't know if, like, he's obviously a star, right? He's a borderline top five quarterback in the league to me. And I think everybody else feels the same way about him, yet he's still so underrated. Well, if you're underrated for enough time, and if enough people say that you're underrated, eventually you become overrated. And I don't know if that's happened with Russell Wilson yet. I I would say that would be jumping the shark a little bit. Uh, But it really is interesting to me how it feels like we don't really ever talk about the boneheaded mistakes he's consistently made throughout his career. And I think that a lot of it has to do with their record shaping the narrative. If you look at Russell Wilson's career and the trajectory of the team since he's arrived, he's had Pete Carroll for his the duration of his career, who is one of the best NFL coaches going right now. He's been doing it a long time. In fact, had the Patriots job before Bill Belichick. I mean, he has been in the NFL for an extremely long period of time. Obviously had the little detour at USC with Matt Lyon at Reggie Bush and crushed it there. He comes back to Seattle and he has crushed it there. So, obviously he's benefited from that. Russell has. He has also, basically throughout his entire career, had an, an above average defense and oftentimes one of the league's best. When he first came into the league, it was the Legion of Boom, which is, I mean, right up there with the best defenses to ever strap it up. You had R- Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. Those guys were out for blood. You had Cliff Averill on the defensive line, Michael Bennett, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright. I mean, the names and the list goes on and on and on. They boat raced the Broncos in that Super Bowl. Should have won another, again, if it wasn't for Russell Wilson throwing a pick on the one-yard line. But... He's always had this good defense, and in addition to that, he's always had a good running running game. He had Marshawn Lynch for all those years, and now the Seahawks led the league in rushing in 2018 with Chris Carson, and it has continued to stabilize here in 2019. They'll be top five in rushing again with a combination of Rashad Penny, first rounder out of San Diego State, and Chris Carson again. They have a fantastic offensive line, and they close teams out. They did it to the Minnesota Vikings again on Monday night. And that's one 
it's it's not like it's Russell's fault. Like you can't belittle his accomplishments because he has played with really good players and on good teams with a good head coach. And it doesn't work like that. He it, he's still a rock star, and what he does is still incredible. Though if there's one word I see to describe Russell Wilson, it's electric because he is appointment television. Every time he drops back, you don't know what he's going to do. He's going to get out of a sack. He can sit in there in the pocket and throw darts and beat you. He can pull it down and run. Or he can escape pressure, then keep his eyes downfield and throw a 60-yard frozen rope to David Moore or Tyler Lockett or back in the day, Doug Baldwin. But for every outstanding play that he makes, it feels like he makes one that is equally as boneheaded. And I wanted to talk about it this week because, first of all, it was relevant with the Monday night game, and we saw it a couple times in the Monday night game. And I think we saw it in the San Fran game as well. They've played two uh, primetime games, so I, I think that now would be a good time to kind of point it out. And, again, it sounds like you're kind of hating on the dude, and that's not it. It's more of just something I've noticed that I feel like he kind of gets a slide on. I feel like people don't even really talk about him or blame him for the pick thrown on the one yard line as much as they blame the play call which is bizarre like in any other quarterback or any other situation it feels like they would just get crushed like if Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady throw that pick on the one yard line to lose the Super Bowl I feel like they're getting just absolutely lambasted for the rest of their careers for throwing that pick when really we just crush Pete Carroll and the coaching for why the hell didn't you run it with Marshawn Lynch on the one yard line That is who gets criticized, and that's who the scapegoat is when Russell has had a history of these plays throughout his career. And I think the narrative of he's underrated on Twitter is honestly complete and utter bullshit because in the Monday night game, he had two plays, and in the San Fran game, there's one that sticks out to me that are just head scratchers, and he's done this throughout his career. The first one in the Monday night game was he gets a pass batted back to him by the Minnesota Vikings defensive line. And what they teach you to do is you don't want to catch that ball because after the ball is batted on a pass attempt, you cannot catch it and then throw it again. That's illegal. Once you have tried to attempt the forward pass, whether you complete it to yourself or somebody else, you cannot throw another pass. That's why when you see these double pass plays, the first pass is technically a lateral that travels backwards because you cannot throw two forward passes uh, in the same down. It's illegal. Even if you're still behind the line of scrimmage, once you throw the first pass, you can't do it again. So what they teach the quarterbacks to do is to bat the ball. Like, if the ball comes back to you, don't catch it, because you can't throw it again. You're going to get sacked for, like, a loss of eight. So they teach you to bat it down. Well, what Russell does is technically the right move, what he's coached to do, but the problem is... He approaches it like he's an outside hitter in volleyball going for the spike, and he drills this thing right to Anthony Harris, the Viking safety, who then runs it back for a touchdown. It ends up being a pick six. Rather than just tapping the ball down, he literally, like, USA Volleyball spikes that bitch back over the line, and it ends up as a pick six. There's bonehead play number one. Like, it was it was just like, and it was kind of like, again, hard to crush him for because it was just such a bizarre play. you never seen anything like that before. So you kind of get a little pass on that one. But the second one I saw him do, and he does this a lot, and he's not the only running quarterback that's done it. And that's, again, 
you got to live with the good and you got to take you got to live with the bad and you take the good his playmaking ability can make outstanding plays but then he's going to get you into some bad spots and he did on monday night he's trying to run around back there for the sack should have thrown it away gets away from the pressure initially and then falls way back trying to run around him and they clip his legs out it's like a loss of 12 puts him in like third and 20 third and 15 drives over like you're done though you cannot take that sack he did that a couple of times in the 49ers game i want to say in overtime he took a sack to put them out of field goal range and one of the worst boneheaded mistakes of all was their in field goal range this is the first possession of the overtime they're trying to score a touchdown so that the 49ers cannot get the ball back and beat them so that's why they're not just you know running the ball to kick it because the 49ers still get a chance that first possession well, he throws this wheel route, and it gets picked off. It, is, it, is, it was an abysmal interception. He underthrows the crap out of it. It gets picked off. You don't get any points now. And again, the defense stands on its head not once but twice in overtime. Russell Wilson got three chances in overtime to win that football game against the 49ers. I've never seen anything like it. I, I can't remember the last time in a 10-minute overtime a team got three chances to win it. And what my point with all of this is I think he has escaped the ire of fans and people that watch the games because of the end result. The end result always shapes the narrative in sports for right or wrong, and it is wrong. But because the Seahawks end up pulling these suckers out, because they've been tradition, I mean, just statistically, they've been one of the luckier teams in the NFL, at least since I've been alive. I mean, you talk about the touch touchception with the replacement refs that was back when i was in high school and that was a lovely little graphic they displayed during the monday night game thank you for the reminder espn but you talk about that then you, then another packers moment where they had the crazy comeback with the the onside kick that doinks off of the packers tight end's helmet and then they recover it they get the two-point conversion uh and they end up beating the packers that way well, they, they've just kind of had a history of these plays kind of go in their favor to where they've won a lot of these games and had a lot of success. And therefore, I think we don't really talk about or I feel like a lot of people don't notice that part of Russell's game. And I hate to be, you know, the, the negative Nelly to point it out because he's such a stud and he is so fun to watch. But it is really interesting to me how he's always the underrated guy. But we don't talk about this giant negative of his game that the defense then the running game has to pick up the slack and again not diminishing the career accomplishments but like he has had all the pieces there his entire career he's had stability he's had a great head coach he's had a next level defense he's had a next level running game which opens up the pass and makes your job a hell of a lot easier so it's just interesting to me the perception behind russell wilson a and b the way he plays and that's really all it is is an observation of the play style because you can't coach it out of him and i'd rather have russell who makes the plays but then will get you into some bad spots than a guy that doesn't take the risks but maybe also doesn't take the sack if you want that then you might as well have just signed kirk cousins and we all know how that has worked out you saw them play each other on monday night they don't look like they're in the same class that game was not kirk's fault but he also wasn't elevating that team much he was not elevating. He was doing damage off play action and letting defense play in front of him, which is great. That's the style they want to play, but but Russell makes plays. Russell wins you some ball games, but he could lose you some too. 
Well, it's been speculated on, it feels like, every year for the last couple of years, but Ron Rivera has finally been relieved of his duties as the Carolina Panthers head coach uh, by the owner uh, Tepper. Is it John Tepper? Uh, the new owner in Carolina let him go, and it just felt like it was just a matter of time. I mean, really, as soon as he took over, because he wasn't doing a bad job, at least, at least in terms of on-field results, but they have certainly fallen off from the days of the 15-1 Super Bowl. Again, I don't think that really has anything to do with Ron Rivera, more to do with Cam Newton getting hurt, and when he has kind of lost his mobility and slowed down, it's just a completely different team. But Ron Rivera leaves there as the winningest head coach in Carolina history, the best coach they've ever had in their... Uh, shorter team history. Um, I believe he was like something like 78, 63, something like that. Uh, But we get into now the semantics of does he deserve to be fired? Where does he go next? Where do the Carolina Panthers go from here? And firstly, does he deserve, did he deserve to kind of lose his job? Especially like this? No freaking way, man. No freaking way. I, I get that it doesn't do you any favors when Adrian Peterson, Washington Redskins version of Adrian Peterson and Hassan fucking Haskins run it down your throat and beat you at home at your place, and you've also lost to the Falcons uh, in the same month, in the, in the span of the same four weeks, you know? But uh, this isn't Ron Rivera's fault. He's got Kyle Allen in there the whole season. He's gone 500 with Kyle Allen, who I think we can all agree now isn't the dude. Uh, he's looked like complete fucking garbage the last month of the, the last month of the season, and the, we also I think forget. I mean, does he get fired if they just hold on to that game against the Saints at the Superdome two weeks ago? No way. So like, I think they should have let him finish out the year. I understand that you want to get a jump on the head coaching search, and the Packers did the same thing last year. But I think in the Packers' case, and I still didn't really agree with it. Like, you already suck. Like, just ride it out to the end of the year. Like, he won you a Super Bowl. Like, he deserves that. Like, Ron, Ron's been been the best thing for the Carolina Panthers since their inception. Like, he, he deserved to finish out the season with his dudes. So, and also, like, if you know you know you're going to fire him before you actually do, like, you can still kind of begin that search of candidates. Like, I don't think you need to get the guy out of the building unless he's causing problems. And that's why, like... I didn't hate it when the Packers did it. Like they, they were coming off a home loss to the Arizona Cardinals when things could not have been any worse. It was so toxic in that organization right now. And I don't think that's really the attitude in Carolina. I mean, maybe the Panthers fans kind of wanted him gone or ready for a change. I think he'd been there eight seasons. But I don't think that there's ire towards Ron Rivera. In fact, if the new ownership was still around, there's I don't think he'd be fired. But... This felt like an inevitable thing. Tepper wants to get his guy in there. Ron Rivera's a holdover from the old ownership, obviously. They want to start running the organization their way and put their footprint on it, which is understandable. Paid a lot of money to get into the NFL and uh, own a franchise. But it felt like, you know, they were more just waiting for a reason to do it more than does he actually deserve to be shit-canned or not. And I think that this is said a lot about NFL coaches that get fired. The the media loves to just crush these guys, but then the second they get fired, this is a travesty. Mike McCarthy will have a job in in a 24 hours. He'll have a job by the end of the month. 
you know, he's going to get hired so quickly. He's going to land, and a lot of the times, like, no, dude, he's kind of just shitty. He, I don't think anybody's going to hire him. He stinks. But in the case of Ron Rivera, he will find work in short order because he's an exceptional football coach. And I kind of, for as a Packers fan, wish it would have happened a year ago so we could have hired him because the guy is awesome. I think that uh, potential landing spots for him include the San Diego Chargers and the New York Giants. Of course, Anthony Lynn, the head man there, and Pat Shermer, the head man uh, for New York, respectively. Both those guys look like they're on pretty short leashes, not having very good seasons, and uh, have been there a while. I think Pat Shermer is pretty much inevitable. We'll see on Anthony Lynn, but it sounds like they're probably going to let him go. I would lean towards Chargers, which is where he was a defensive coordinator before he got hired by Carolina. I think it's much more appealing to go to a franchise where you have good memories and left on good terms, especially with the weather. He's familiar with the area, and you look at the team, they have a lot of talent, but Phil is getting ready to shut it down. But here's the thing. If you get hired at the end of this season, you're going to have a hand in choosing the next guy. And you already got Melvin Gordon, although who knows for how long. But you got some really interesting pieces on defense. Ron Rivera, defensive guy, is going to love inheriting Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Plus, on the back end, you got Casey Hayward. Do they still have Jason Verrett? I swear they still have him. But uh, anyways, they, they have some really, really interesting pieces. Derwin James who uh, was having a fantastic rookie year before uh, he unfortunately got put on the shelf. Uh, of course, you got Keenan Allen on the offensive side of the ball, uh, one of the one of the better wide receivers in the league. So there's certainly a lot more to be optimistic about. They're obviously going to be moving into that giant new coliseum that Dean Spanos has just piggybacked off of uh, Stan Kroenke to kind of just <laughs> uh, weasel his way into there from San Diego. I mean, what a... Dean Spent, not a giant fan of his, but I think bottom line, I think that's a much more appealing location for Ron Rivera to go to than to go to New York, where they have been in constant turmoil really since Tom Coughlin left. Also, they've drafted their quarterback already. That's I think the biggest thing is they've already taken their quarterback of the future in Daniel Jones, who most people laughed at and thought, you guys are idiots. Now, you do have Saquon, and you got some players, but they're a lot farther away from contention than the Chargers are at this point. And although you got to deal with cheap ownership in Dean Spanos, I mean, the media in New York is going to kill you if you don't, and you're going to be fired there in two or three years unless you have some success. And are you gonna? You're going to be hand, handy, hand, handcuffed. You're going to be handicapped and handcuffed because if you, unless you love Daniel Jones, if you think Daniel Jones is awesome, then obviously you take that job. And I think Davy G is going to be uh, shipping out too as the GM for the Giants. So obviously you would have maybe a a better relationship with the next guy because you'd be coming in at the same time, kind of like a John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan type relationship with the Maras as the owners. But I think it's a much harder, harsher environment than San Diego where they're, I don't think the bar is set as high. And I think that they have a much better jumping off point. And in a league where, 
it's a win now league. What have you done for me lately? Week to week league. I think you need, you can't, even if they tell you we're far away from contending, we know that we're going to give you some time. It never actually works out like that. And then they'll fire his ass if they don't win in two or three years. Even if it's Daniel Jones fault, Ron Rivera is going to be headed out too. So if I was Ron, I think I'd want to go to San Diego or Los Angeles. Now I refuse to call them the LA chargers, but I think that's a much more appealing location than the Giants, or who knows, he could go somewhere completely different, not one of those two franchises. As for the Carolina Panthers, it'll be really interesting to see the direction they move. They have North Turner, who's been a head coach, coincidentally, of the uh, San Diego Chargers, then San Diego Chargers. It was the OC, has now been made special assistant to the head coach. Uh, They moved, I believe, the quarterback or running back coach to interim, so I think that right there pretty much tells you that they're not going to hire Norv Turner to be the, the head coach, which I think is a good move because although Norv has uh, been seen in a little less harsh light as of late, I still don't think he's really the answer there. I think what I'd do if I was Carolina is I'd hire a innovative offensive guy. I know that's the trend anyways, but... If you think about it, you got Cam, you're probably going to honestly have to get a new quarterback here pretty soon because Cam's going to be a free agent. I don't know if you franchise him or just move on. You draft somebody in the offseason, you see what Will Greer's got, maybe you try out Kyle Allen for a full season. I wouldn't do that, but maybe that's what they, the direction they decide to go in. But you have some really interesting guys on offense. You have Christian McCaffrey, who's one of the best uh offensive players in the league let alone running backs you have dj moore who you took in uh was he a first round pick i think he was out of uh the university of maryland who's a stud you got curtis samuel a nice little gadget guy uh and you got some pieces on defense but i think that if you hired an innovative offensive guy to kind of use the pieces they have there to bring out the best in that unit i think you'd be very competitive it's really an offensive division down there anyways with the falcons matt ryan julio jones you got the saints and sean payton drew Brees, and then you have the bucks who are actually a pretty 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 good offensive team as well and i suspect they're only going to get better under bruce Arians. so you need points to survive in that division so i think it makes a lot of sense to go after an offensive guy i heard uh mike mccarthy's name floated uh, by some media people because of his uh, relationship with uh, not the owner, but they have similar ties to Pittsburgh, where McCarthy's from. So uh, I heard that floated. I'd kind of be surprised if they hired him, although he is an offensive guy. I think McCarthy would fit very well in Cleveland uh, when they got to fire Freddie Kitchens at the end of this year, don't they? I mean, maybe they give him another year, but it's like you're just asking for the same thing to happen if if you keep him for another year. Like, let's say you end up because they've gotten they've gotten some wins as of late. I feel like all you'd be doing is talking yourselves into this can work, but he's gonna be gone. I mean, it's not it's not gonna work with him. So uh, if they fire him, I think McCarthy would honestly be a good fit up there. It's basically Green Bay East uh, in Ohio, so uh, I think that'd be a good fit. But uh, yeah, Ron Rivera out in Carolina. Uh, kind of shocking, but he'll get a, he'll get another head coaching job. I don't think he's going to have to be a coordinator unless he doesn't want the job he's offered, unless he doesn't like the, the vacancies and wants to wait. He's not going to have to be a coordinator. He's proven enough to get another head coaching job right away. Okay, Thursday night football in my home state of Illinois. It's the Chicago Bears hosting the Dallas Cowboys And because I'm from Illinois, although I live in St. Louis now, I follow a lot of Illinois media 
follow a lot of Bears fans. I'm friends with a lot of Bears fans. And it's they, they kind of do it as a joke, but like the in the hunt graphic, they're back to six and six now. Now the the trouble for the Bears is they play in the NFC North, where the Packers have uh, what are they nine and two, nine and three now, and the Vikings are like eight and four. So they're still two games behind the second best team in the division. So they're kind of fucked, but. They do have a shot here to kind of nibble their way into the playoffs and just ever so slightly if they ran the table and they've they've won the last couple of weeks, so they've added fuel to the fire. Well, they have a game this Thursday. I mean, they're pretty much out of it already, but they have a game this Thursday at home against the Cowboys who are fighting for their postseason lives because like unlike the Bears, they're still right in the thick of it. The uh, Eagles are terrible. They lost to the Miami Dolphins. And the Cowboys are pretty terrible, too. The Bears might be the best out of those three teams. Problem is, you got to play in the NFC East to get, to get that bid. So one of those shitty teams between the Cowboys and the Eagles is going to win that division at, like, probably 8-8 eight and eight and host a home playoff game on Wild Card Weekend. So this is a huge game for the Cowboys and Jason Garrett. The... The... Writing is on the wall for Jason in Dallas. It looks like unless he wins the freaking Super Bowl, that they're going to shit-can him at the end of the year and send him a packing. And it, it's gotten to the point now where some Cowboys fans, I think, would like to see it happen right now because they still have a shot at the playoffs and they think that he, it's just such a toxic environment and that he's holding them back. Now, I think that's—I don't think you can make that switch. Jerry's obviously very reluctant to fire him, right? Because how many years on this earth does Jerry have have left? He knows what he has in Jason Garrett. He, it, Jason Garrett's a known entity to uh, to Jerry Jones. Firing him and hiring somebody else is a huge risk when you have the team already assembled. Uh, does that make it right? No. Jason Garrett probably deserved to be fired two or three years ago. But this is a huge game for him because if they drop this one tomorrow night against it, well, when you're listening to it, it'll be tonight. Uh, if they drop this one to the Bears, it feels like they're dead again, even though they're not. I mean, they could drop this one to the Bears and still be very much alive with uh, the Eagles fucking up and losing to the Dolphins because the Eagles had a chance to take control after the Cowboys lost to the Bills at home on Thanksgiving and didn't do it. I mean, these two teams are absolute, absolute shit shows right now. Uh, trying to hand the division back to each other. So can the Cowboys seize control? I think that they can. I The spread on this one's pretty low. I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys on the road in Chicago to kind of get it together. Uh, the Bears needed a, needed a comeback from Mitch Trubisky to beat third-string David Blau and, and the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. I don't feel confident about them at all. Now, I know that they've, they've had, like, so, I guess you could call it success the last couple of weeks, but... The Cowboys are still just a much better football team. Dak is playing pretty well. He's actually overcoming the uh, the idiocy in, in in the coaching staff right now. And the defense isn't playing that well. Richard's got to get them playing better. But if there's ever a get-right game for a defense, it's playing the Bears' offense. That's absolutely abysmal. Uh, they can't move the ball. Mitch, Mitch Trubisky is not the guy. I don't know what they do with him at the end of this season. But... Uh, I expect this to be a low-scoring affair. I'm not really worried about the Cowboys playing in the cold in December. Dax, Dax a hard ass. He can do it. I watched him on a Thursday night go to Mizzou and beat them in an absolute downpour. He just kicked their ass. It, it wasn't even a contest. 
So I don't. I don't think he's gonna. He's not gonna flinch at the cold weather. Neither is Ezekiel Elliott, another Missouri guy, uh, played at Ohio State. They don't care. Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch, Sean Lee. Those those guys aren't bothered by the cold. So so I think that the home field advantage for the Bears is a little bit diminished in this one. Plus, the, I I just think the Cowboys are a much better team. They keep letting people down because they are much better than most of the league. But especially so in this in this Bears game. Uh, betting against Mitch Trubisky is pretty easy to do at this point. So uh, that'll wrap it up for my part of the show. We'll send it over for TJ's picks, Nick's picks, as well as his fantasy ad drops of the week. We'll see you Sunday at Cafe Telegraph, guys. Thanks for listening and have a good week. What's up, guys? What's up, Mr. Zook? Thursday night football for week number 14, man. Just flying by. I feel like we just had the first week of the BOTV football show literally like couple weeks ago and here we are in week 14 crazy all right anyway uh i think in this one dallas at the bears chicago getting three points you know trubisky's shown uh some better signs of life over the last few weeks again they almost gave that game up against uh the lions last week on thanksgiving without stafford which is pretty remarkably bad um I, i don't know why i got a good feeling in this one dallas has shown that they can't beat anybody um you know, they haven't beaten anybody over 500 all year. Chicago is now 500. It's a must win pretty much for Dallas. They got to stay in front of the Philadelphia Eagles, who shit the bed last week. Um, the NFC East just, just got awful. But in regards to the Bears at home, you know, it's one of those games. They're also 6-6. Six and six. They're going to be playing tough at Soldier Field, you know, primetime game. I'm going to say that they get this one done. They're getting three. I think they're going to shut down Zeke. That defensive line is going to be able to penetrate inside. It's going to freak out Dak Prescott. I think Dak will score a couple touchdowns. I think Zeke's going to be absolutely shut down in this one. So I'm going to take the Bears for the reason that they're home. They're 6-6. Six and six. They're playing a little bit better, but they have a lot of room to, to maneuver. They have a lot more improvement to make. Um, I think it's going to be a close game, though, and the fact that the Bears are getting three, I think they'll at least push, probably cover this one. So it wouldn't be my favorite game to pick, but since we have to pick Thursday night, I'll take the Bears plus three. What is going on, Bruce on the Balcony listeners? TJ, Big Web, Zook, how are you? Nick back here for week 14 of the NFL season, I believe. Losing count now. Uh, didn't do too terrible this past week. If you're in the fantasy playoffs, congratulations. I missed my fantasy uh, playoffs for Bruce on the Balcony, which means I'm doing another beer mile. And I missed fantasy playoffs in my franchise league. So both disappointing, but I did make fantasy playoffs in my cash league, so that's exciting first round bye for me. Before we get into Thursday night football, because I have no idea what the matchup is this week, so while I look it up, let me tell you about a fantasy play that I like this week for your fantasy teams if you're in the playoff hunt, and that is Rashad Penny of the Seattle Seahawks. Chris Carson has been fumbling the ball quite a bit, uh, in this year, leading the league in fumbles, like I, like I had discussed uh, earlier, la- I guess on last week's show, and he's a perfect handcuff because he had, I think, 22 points this past week. Carson had 17, Rashad Penny had 22, so perfect handcuff. Probably playing both, and you still get a ton of points because they're splitting carries and they're going to the ground game pretty heavy. So I like Rashad Penny in the playoffs for you. If you're looking for a running back, more of an RB2 um, to 
add to your fantasy lineup. Now, to get into Thursday night football, let's take a look at who we got. Cowboys at the Bears, both teams 6-6. Six and six. Cowboys struggling, especially on Turkey Day last week. Had plenty of time off to rest and recoup, though. Full week of rest for them, both teams, Cowboys and the Bears. And I don't know what the spread is in this one. Need to look that up real quick. Um, and so I like the Cowboys because they're going to be coming off a, a tough loss in a game that they needed to win. And that division is just absolutely miserable this year. The Eagles have sucked. Obviously, the Redskins suck. Cowboys not doing too great uh, at just 500. So I'm probably going to go with the uh, the Cowboys uh, in this one. Just need to double check the spread right now. Looks like the spread is at... Minus three for Dallas. So, yeah, I like Dallas. It's a field goal game. Basically, a pick them in this one. Uh, Trubisky and the Bears offense showed up a little bit on, on Turkey Day, but not enough to, to uh, beat the Cowboys, I don't think. And so give me the Cowboys in this one. Expect Dak Prescott to have a big rebound game after a, uh, a disappointing loss on Thanksgiving. All right, boys, we'll see you on Sunday.